Before I jump into the message, I want to do something uh, else, uh, just because I can. Um, I can. It's, it's cool that way. Uh, I want to ask Frank and Irene Amaker to stand. Where, where are you guys? Are you? There you are, right here. And some of you don't even know why you're clapping. They're just... Because they're amazing. All right, so here's the deal. The reason I want to point them out and honor them uh, is not just because they've lived amazing lives. These guys are retired missionaries, and I want to stop and go, but they haven't retired from the mission. <laughs> if you hang out with them at all, you go to lunch with them, they're going to be telling somebody about Jesus the whole time that you're uh, with them, including you, which is amazing. Uh, and I also want you to kind of get away from the idea that missionaries are people that we send letters to and that they send letters to us and we send support to them and we pray for them, and they're the missionaries. No, no, no. If you're a Christian, you're the missionary. They just did it vocationally for a lot of years. They're part of Team Rio. They lead our, um, together with a great team, our seniors ministry. They are the people that you will see if you land in the hospital first. They will be there. Uh, They have an amazing ministry to people who can't come to church because of age or infirmity or whatever. But the reason I asked them to stand is that I discovered this week that this is their 65th year of marriage. This is the year they're celebrating that. That's awesome. They are amazing and incredible people. Uh, We just, uh, last Sunday night, we got back from a trip to Israel. It was 12 days long, and they were a part of the trip, so part of their victory tour this year is they came on this Israel trip. And I want to tell you, I mean, it's, it is a physically tiring trip. And they're like 30 years my senior. I'm tired, and they're just dieseling through, man. I was like, you guys are incredible. I don't know how you're doing this right now. Like, people are falling left and right, and they're like just trucking through, man. It was... It was amazing and a blessing to have them on the trip. And if you're not familiar with, you know, Rio and maybe you're checking us, we do those things every once in a while. So I do those trips together with a good friend of mine, Dr. Warren Gage, who's not only a wonderful person, but he's an amazing scholar, incredible Bible teacher. Uh, In fact, I mostly just kind of go, I want you to hear from him, you know, and just let him do his thing. And just like every other trip that we've ever done in regards to these Holy Land trips, it was an incredible experience. Uh, It's one of those things where like everybody who's done it comes to you and goes, okay, okay, it's really going to be amazing. Oh, man, it's going to be so great. And oh, wait till you see. And so your expectations are way up here. And then it exceeds expectations. It just, it does. So it was awesome to be away with these guys. We had 55 people on this trip, which is the biggest group that we've taken. And it's great to be back. The only downside is I'm still waking up in the fours. Like, I'm so tired, man. So, so pray for me to be able to sleep. The other downside is I missed my son's birthday. So that was a bummer. But we were able to talk about that. Uh, and then I missed Halloween, which, when your kids are my kids' age, is nothing, right? Like, I didn't even notice that I had missed Halloween until I turned on Instagram and I'm starting, like, I'm flipping through the pictures and and I'm seeing it because Halloween works like this, okay? When your kids are little, you're all into it. And they're all into it. And that's why, like, they have their little outfits and their costumes and they look amazing and you're, you know, you can't wait to take their pictures and you videotape them walking up to the first 93 doors, you know, and asking for candy. And it's incredible and, like, everybody's all into it. I'm I'm not going to lie, though. If you're a dad, about 45 minutes in, you're going, hey, we're getting a long way from the house, you know, like, how much more do we have to experience here? 
But it's fun. So if my kids were little, I would have felt like I missed something. But then they get to like middle school, high school. Yeah, Halloween's not so cool anymore. They don't get all dressed up. My son and all of his buddies went to something and they had a a costume for it. The costume was a Hawaiian shirt. Like that was the whole thing. I'm like, what are you like a Maui gym convention? Like, what are you guys? Like, you're you in a Hawaiian shirt, you know? But they don't care is the point. Everybody was like that. They didn't care. You get into your 20s. Now it's game on again. I've noticed. I've noticed. Because I'm on Instagram and I'm looking at a lot of you in your 20s and in your 30s and your 40s, maybe even some of your 50s, and I see you in your costume, which, because I'm the pastor, might make you a little nervous depending on what the costume is, right? I have that effect on people. It's, it's, one, of, it's one of the downsides of being a pastor. Like you, you immediately inflame the conscience of everyone in the group. And so like hundreds, I'll give you an example, hundreds of times, maybe more, somebody, maybe who doesn't know me that well, in a group has cursed in my presence. And then they've realized that I'm there and heard it. And then inside, I can tell that they curse again. (laughs) And then they apologize profusely. Oh, pastor, I'm so sorry. I hope that I didn't offend you with that. And, you know, and then I just kind of deadpan it and I go, well, I I've never heard that word. What does it mean? You know, (laughs) should you be apologizing? But Halloween is the same way. So depending on the outfit, I may or may not want to be the guy that, you know, that you want to run into. Um, And I just want to say, you guys look great. You killed it this Halloween. I have actually pictures with permission from some of you guys. So can you see that? So these are the Arringtons over here. Uh, I thought that was awesome. Like the tagline was, there's no crying in baseball. And I saw I even got the movie reference. So that was great. And then this is Pete and Julia here in the middle. So he is Kermit the Frog and she's Miss Piggy. And they're just, I mean, they're newlyweds. So like, they're just automatically cute. And then there's Jordan and Lauren here. So he's Pooh Bear and she's his pot of honey, which is amazing. Very honoring. I thought that was great. All right, but here's the deal, and we all know this to be true. They know it, I know it, you know it. Uh, They're not actually any of these things, right? I mean, like, these guys are not baseball players. They're not from Sesame Street, and that's not Pooh Bear and a pot of honey. They are not, in other words, who or what they are pretending to be on Halloween. And neither am I, and neither are you. And here's the thing, not just on Halloween. All right, so here's the reality. Part of being human means that you're a poser to some degree. We all do it. We're pretenders. We understand, we sense at least at some level, we don't want to deal with it because it's psychologically traumatic, but we sense at least at some level that we're broken. We sense that we're flawed. We sense that we're inherently insufficient. Like, we are inadequate. And so who do we hide from? Well, we hide from God, we hide from each other, but I think mostly we just hide from ourselves. Because we don't want to believe it, we don't want to admit it, we don't want to confess it, we don't want to give into it, which, as David says, is what takes Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this sermon that we've been studying all the way through and we're back in again this morning, and it makes it kind of painful on the one hand, but please don't miss the payoff. That's what makes it so incredibly life-giving on the other hand. What is Jesus doing with this sermon? He's coming to me and he's coming to you and saying, yeah, we're going to take the mask off. We're going to stop pretending. The costume has to go. 
And please hear this because it's his heart. He doesn't do it to humiliate us. He doesn't do it to shame us. He doesn't do it to make us feel guilty. In other words, he's not coming and going, let me show the real you to you so that you can feel really crummy about you. It's like, you know what, Lord? That's already the case. You know, so like he's not piling on. He reveals who we really are to us so that he might open his arms and receive us, so that he might reach out his hand and heal us, so that he might fill us with his spirit, so that he might make us like himself. That's the project. You bring him your heart, and he makes you like him. It's amazing, and not on the outside. Like, you don't need a costume for this. It's not like Halloween. You don't need a wig and a beard and long, flowing Jesus robes and sandals and walk around saying, verily, verily, a lot. None of that. All you need to do is bring him your heart. Guys, it's your heart that he's after. And that's why last week he came to us with two different gates. Why? Because these two different gates reflect two different hearts. Get the idea? And depending upon which one you enter reveals which heart you have. Do you have a heart that is like Jesus? Is it going to be perfectly like Jesus? No, 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 no. But it's going to be at least a little like Jesus, and it's going to be growing in likeness to Jesus. Does your heart look like this heart, or does it look like the not like Jesus heart? You get the idea? So last week, two gates. This week, he comes to us with two different prophets, two different kinds of plants, two different kinds of trees that produce two different kinds of fruits that result, by the way, in two very different kinds of eternal destinies, which is a little intimidating. I'll grant you that. I mean, it's kind of like, whoa, wait a minute, hang on a second. And yet, his tactic is not a scare tactic. He's not trying to scare us. He's not trying to intimidate us. He's not trying to manipulate us with fear. How does he call us to himself? Because the Bible doesn't leave us wondering. It says that it is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's a remarkable thought. Let that reframe who you think he is, okay, and how you think he operates. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. What's repentance? Well, to use the language of today... Repentance is just taking your heart in your hands and it's bringing it to Jesus and saying, all right, so no mask, okay? No costume. I'm going to endure the psychological trauma of confessing, God, what you already know to be true about me, and that is that I'm, I'm broken and I, I can't fix that. Good grief, I can't even stay on a diet, you know, like I can't maintain my workout schedule. I'm flawed. I can't fix that either. I'm inherently insufficient and inadequate, and I feel it at times, some more times than others. And as much as I try to hide it, I can't hide it from you. And so here's my heart. Take it and forgive me and make me new and make me clean. Take that which is dead and make it to come alive. Lord, I can't make myself selfless, so do that. I can't make myself humble, so do that. I can't make myself not covet and be content, so do that. Fill me with your spirit and take my heart and make it more and more and more like yours and less and less like the heart I'm delivering to you now. So to that end, last week, he he gave us two different gates. And today, he begins with two different kinds of prophets. So Jesus says this, Matthew 7, beginning in verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets. And what he says next is really important. He says, who come to you in sheep's clothing, which means that externally they look just like a sheep and not at all like Wiley E. Coyote dressed as a sheep. You remember him? Everyone over 45 is like, yes! And the rest of you will look it up later. But 
his costume is clumsy. Their costumes are not clumsy. They look just like a sheep. But they're not a sheep. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But where? Because it's what we're talking about. It's what he's after. But inwardly, in your heart, that's the idea. They're ravenous wolves, which means they look harmless out here, but they're not actually harmless out here, and they're not actually harmless out here. Why? Because what you see out here doesn't match who they really are in here. So you have two prophets, one that is true and one that is false. What's the difference? It's not what you see out here. It's what's in here. One is a heart that is true after the fashion of the heart of Christ who is himself the truth, and then the other one doesn't. And, you know, maybe you're thinking, well, what does any of this have to do with me? Because I'm not a prophet, in case you haven't noticed. Not a false one, not a true one, just not one at all, but I think it does have to do with us. And the reason for that is the way that the Bible and even Jesus himself speaks of sheep elsewhere. David comes to us, for example, Psalm 23, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, what does that presuppose? That he's a sheep, that God's people are sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. What does that presuppose? That he has sheep. But then he also says things like this, and my sheep know my voice. Well, what does that mean? Like, how did that work back then? Like with shepherds, how does that work? Well, they all put their sheep, various shepherds, in one big pen. And then in the morning, having made it safely through the night, each shepherd comes out and just their sheep respond to their unique voice, their call. But they all look the same, don't they? Jesus is like, my sheep know my voice, but there are other people who look like sheep, and they don't respond. You get the point? So I think he's talking about false prophets, obviously, versus true, but I think it can be applied to us as well, where we kind of go, all right, do I present as a sheep out here, but maybe not a sheep in here? And you say, well, that's kind of intimidating too. So how do I know the difference? He continues. Verse 16, he says, you will recognize them by their fruits, but here's the deal with fruit. You have to cut it open. I mean, it might look great on the outside, it might feel good on the outside, but then you cut it open and you've had that experience. My wife is an apple lover, so if she had done the art for today, it would have been an apple tree. I personally prefer bananas, but, so I loved that. But she loves apples, so like every year, apple season, and I don't even know when that is, but every year for apple season, she'll go to the store and she'll get like five different kinds of apples, and then she'll bring them home, seriously, and then she'll cut them up. And she knows which one is which. And then she'll sit us around the table and then she'll give us a slice of all five different ones. And then she'll record which ones we like the best. And almost always, by the way, it's the honey crisp. I don't know if you've had a honey crisp apple, but they are remarkable. They are like the nectar of the gods. I mean, I might even trade a banana for one of those. It's ambrosia, okay? <laughs> but here's the deal. She buys them at Costco. And we live on the east side of Fort Lauderdale. And I hope this doesn't sound weird, okay? Like, because I think it's the same when you live on the west side. Everything is so congested wherever you are that you like to live in about a five-mile radius. Can we just agree on that, no matter where you're at? So Costco, for us, feels like driving to Sarasota. I know that it's not. <laughs> I know that it's not, okay? But in Fort Lauderdale traffic, it feels like you get there and think, do I need a hotel room, you know? Like, <laughs> if we drive another 40 minutes, we'll be at Bush Gardens, you know? I mean, it's... so. She goes to Costco regularly. She gets the apple of choice, 
and she brings them home in this plastic thing. And, and there have been a few times out of a thousand times, there have been a few times, and we love Costco, love it, love it. There have been a few times where we get the apples and we're all excited about the apples and, you know, and they feel great and they look great and you cut them open and they're not great. And it's like, man, you know, and so what are you going to do? Drive to Sarasota? I mean, you just, you're stuck with it. And it's clear in this passage, when you understand what Jesus is referring to, that that's what he's saying. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits, but don't just look on the outside. And I say that because he says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? All right, well, the people in his audience understood that he was referring to a very specific thorn bush called the buckthorn bush. It produces a fruit that looks just like a grape but you don't want to taste it. It's different inside. He says, are figs gathered from thistles? And here too, there's a certain kind of thistle that produces a flower that from a distance at least looks like a fig, but, but it's not a fig. And then he changes the analogy and he says, so every healthy tree, not a some healthy trees, not most healthy trees. He says, every healthy tree bears good fruit. It looks good on the outside when you cut it open. You realize, yeah, it's, it's amazing. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. In fact, he says that a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And then he says that every tree that does not bear good fruit, well, what does the farmer do? He cuts it down and he throws it into the fire. Thus you will recognize the good trees from the bad trees and the false prophets from the true prophets and the, and the true Christians from the false Christians. How? By their fruits. But again, you have to examine the inside of the fruit because, I don't know, I mean, a wolf in sheep's clothing looks just like a sheep until you take off the clothing. And the, the fruit of the buckthorn bush looks just like a, a grape until you bite into it. And, and you know, the thistle on the, on the tree looks just like a fig, you know, until you get up close to it. You know, I look just like Spider-Man in a Spidey suit from a quarter mile away. You get the idea? But when you get up close, you're like, Spidey, what's happened, you know? The show is over, in other words. And it's what he's trying to bring to an end. He's trying to bring to an end the show. The show that we put on for him, the show that we put on for others, and really, I think mostly the show that we put on for ourselves, and not to humiliate us, but to rescue us. He wants us to be good trees that bear good fruit. So you say, well, how do I do that? And the answer to that is by letting Jesus in here. Because here's the way that it works, and it works organically. If Jesus, if the life of Jesus in here is in here, okay, then the fruit of Jesus is going to show up out here. It's the way that it works, and Christ himself makes that clear in John 15. Using another agricultural analogy, he says, let me explain to you who I am. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. He's the farmer. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the farmer who is the father does what? He takes away. Now, why would he do that? Well, because its failure to bear fruit evidences the fact that it doesn't have the life of the vine flowing through it because if it has the life of the vine flowing through it, it automatically and always bears at least some fruit. It's just the way that it works. And Jesus is going, and that's the way that it works for me too. And then he speaks of the value of the fruit, which I think is hugely encouraging because he says, in every branch that does bear fruit, thus proving that it has the life of the vine flowing through it. Okay, what does the farmer who is the father do? He prunes the branch. 
so that it may bear more fruit. And pruning is painful. Like pruning is not a lot of fun, but since pruning is painful, what is he saying about the value of the fruit that's born? He's saying that the bearing of this fruit is more valuable than our comfort, and the bearing of this fruit is more valuable than our most treasured dreams, and the bearing of this fruit is more valuable than our money or, you know, our plans or agendas or ambitions or kingdoms. He's like, the value of this fruit, my goodness, this fruit brings God glory. This fruit offers life to the world. This fruit is a really big deal, and yet here's what none of us, including me, ever do. We never come to God and go, you know, I am so enamored with the value of this fruit. Like, I want to be as fruitful as, we possi- as I possibly can be, so prune me. Which I think is why he doesn't ask our permission. Like, he doesn't show up and go, hey, I was thinking I want to make you more fruitful, so if you don't mind, I'm going to cut this off right here. And then I'm going to clip over here, and then I'm going to, you know, he just, he's the farmer. He just comes in and does it. And if you're in a season of pruning, I I hope that it's an encouragement to you that what will come from it is far more valuable than what's being lost within it. But I think it would also be helpful to remember that, that pruning only lasts for a season. But the fruit of the glory of Jesus, the fruit of the character of Jesus, the fruit of the mission and the mercy and the message of Jesus produces things that last for forever. I think it's helpful to remember that God's hand is never so close as when he prunes you. Why is that significant? Because when you're being pruned, you wonder where in the heck he is, don't you? Meanwhile, he's standing there going, hey, I've got the clippers. Like, I'm right here, you know, like, watch, I'll clip a leaf, you know. I think it's important to remember that since God is the one doing the pruning, he knows exactly where it hurts. That's helpful, too. So Jesus continues in verse 4. He says, look, if you want to bear good fruit, here's, here's the secret. He says, abide in me and I in you, because as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. It just, it happens. It's the way that it works. For apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. And so maybe at this point you're thinking, okay, can we just stop? You know, like, that's a lot of information. I'm good. What do I do with what you've got here? And I I think what you do with all of this is you allow it to do what it's intended to do, which is to, to make you real, you know, to take off the mask, to remove the costume. God wants you to be real with him. He knows what the deal is, all right? So he's calling you to remember and to be reminded of what the deal is and to just take your heart and just bring it to him and say, yeah, I, I, I don't have a remedy for this, but I believe in faith that you are the remedy for this. So, Lord, take my heart and forgive me and, and make me come alive. <laughs> Remove the shame and guilt. Renew me. And then make me like you. And so to that end, as we enter into our time of reflection, I'm going to ask you guys just a couple of questions. And just interact with this in your own heart, okay? Who are you in here? Like, really, who are you in here? Have you brought your heart to Jesus? And the evidence to some degree of that is it's, it's starting to look at least a little like his. You know what I mean? His nature, his character, his passions his desires, 
his values. Secondly, do you see the fruit of this Christ-likeness in your life? Thirdly, are you abiding in the vine that is Jesus? Because I think that's what happens to a lot of us too. It's like, you know, we bring Jesus our heart and then we just get too busy to spend any time with him. We get too busy to, uh, and distracted to, to stay connected to him. We're like a branch that separates ourselves voluntarily. It feels involuntary, but it's choices we make, is it not? Worship, community, renewal. If we're going to abide in life with Christ, if we're going to interact with him, if he's going to work in our hearts and minds and lives, we need to be with him daily in personal worship. We need to, frankly, be more than casually associated with what we do here on Sundays. We need to be engaged in Christian community with people who know what's going on in our lives and can walk with us, who are not impressed with us, who tell us what they really think, who will pray faithfully for us and you for them. It's, it's a big deal, and we need to analyze our lives, how God has positioned us, how God has made us, recognizing that ultimately it's his kingdom that matters. So now, Lord, what do you want me to do to reveal you to the people in my world, my city? my family. All right, last one. If you're in a season of pruning, which I know is painful, okay, I just want you to remember that it only lasts for a season. I want you to remember that God's never so close as he is when he's pruning you, and he knows where it hurts. So consider taking it then, and instead of fighting it, which is my nature, gritting your teeth, and I'm, oh, I'm just going to get through this thing and forget about it as fast as I can, hopefully. Maybe you submit it to him and say, well, listen, I didn't choose this, and I don't like it. <laughs> I'd like to get it over with, but I realize that there's this stuff called fruit that's more valuable than what I'm experiencing, even though, Lord, I need a little convincing on that. I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to submit it to you, and I'm going to surrender, and I'm going to say, do what you want to do. You're going to do it anyway, so like, let me maximize what you want to do in and through this season of time, okay? Why don't you guys stand for a moment? Let's pray together. And I want to give you some time as we pray to just sort of interact with the Lord on your own, all right? So if I pause, that's, that's that moment. <laughs>